right, welcome back to the What's on the Line podcast. This is part two of episode one, where we're having striped bass shop talk at Sean Kimbrough's garage. My name is David Sikorsky, and I'm joined today by Rudy Lukakovic, Sean Kimbrough, and Dave Tolbert. In part one, Chris Dollar was with us, but had to leave, so the conversation did continue, and here it is. All right, so Chris had to leave us today, head head out somewhere, but we're going to keep the conversation going for a little bit more, and... Rudy. What was that you wanted to look back on, Dave? Yeah, so, you know, uh, coming back to, you know, a lot of people that come in the store and kind of playing off of that the 48% um, number, another um, <laughs> fact that myself wasn't aware of until, you know, recently here and a lot of people don't understand is uh, that that recreational versus commercial catch, that charter boats are recreational and count towards that recreational catch. Yep. Um, so that, that's just another you know, kind of misunderstood piece yeah. of that data, too. Yeah, I was talking to somebody earlier today, and they said, yeah, they're basically a bus driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, the people it, keeping the fish are recreational. Yeah, and it exactly. makes sense. I yeah. just never thought yeah. of it. That, yeah, and every every state has a little bit of different rules. In fact, this gentleman I was talking to was saying, you know, a lot of times there's a, the captain will get a fish or the mate will get a fish, depending where you are. And, and a lot of times they'll catch that and... I think the intent is for them to be able to take a fish home for themselves, but a lot of times they pass it on to their clients, and yeah. um, you know that even happens in the waterfowl world a little bit. You know, guides will let the client shoot their limit, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But yeah, they're absolutely in the recreational sector, and and, and I think it makes sense. I mean, you're, you're taking recreational anglers to access their resource that may not have a means to buy a boat or may just want to go once yeah, a year, exactly. And and that's important and. Same yeah. right to the resources, the rest of us. So. Exactly, exactly, and, and there's no doubt that you can understand how folks that, that make a living on the water can, you know, in the charter industry can, uh, or, or part of their living, um, can can feel threatened sometimes when folks are saying, "Well, okay. you know, to a private recreational angler, to give up a portion of the season doesn't mean as much." Um, but but you know what? Take your licks when you have to, because you know, look at this progression of management of striped bass, the long decline uh, since our peak. Um, it's not good for anybody to reach a cliff. You know, we at CCA, I'll, I'll never forget the uh, that when the last reduction was made in, in harvest mortality, um, there was also a shift in, in how management was done and how the Bay States, you know, Maryland, Potomac River, and Virginia were allowed to manage versus the coast. And, you know, we, we, we used to be able to up, move up and down the, the quota or the, or the recreational season differently. Um, based on what was available. I think it was a term like exploitable stock biomass. So they'd estimate how many fish are out there. You'd try and take a sustainable percentage of them. And the, we knew that, that ASMFC was going to have to take action, reduce mortality, save, leave more fish in the water. And, and the year prior, because you know the exact action hadn't happened yet, Maryland DNR decided to increase quota on the commercial side 19%. You know, we sent a letter in and said, whoa, whoa, why don't we just leave those fish in the water? We know yeah. we're taking cuts. Let them live one more year, spawn, right. produce fish. Yeah. And nope, nope, you always got to take it right to that edge. And it's like, you know, why can't management, A, be flexible and react when necessary? Because we all know how logical that can be. Um, <laughs> even if you get it wrong, err on the side of caution. Shoot for the moon, land amongst the stars. But nope, let's just push that throttle until I the last minute. thinks that way. <laughs> It's frustrating, and, and you know, folks say, "All right, well, how did the management plan fail us?" Um, and the, the the you have to be honest about it. The the managers didn't necessarily have the information they have today. 
Yeah, yeah, but I, you know, I got kind of strong opinions about that. They, they didn't have, but I have listened and watched those guys slap themselves on the back about what a great job they've done managing striped bass for the last ten years, mm-hmm. and all the time when we were screaming at the top of their lungs, <coughs> "There's a problem! There's a problem! There's a problem!" Did they listen? No. Yep. And now suddenly they've got the science and they got to do something, and you know. We've, we've been trying to tell them, not just uh, recreational anglers. Everybody's been trying to tell them. I mean, the charter sector, the tackle shops, guys like me, we've been trying to tell them that, that there's a problem. Striped bass are in decline. It's a fraction of what it once was. Yeah, and a lot of times you look at these charts and stuff, and you, uh, you hear managers all the time talk about, well, back in this year, this level of spawning fish were able to produce some great year classes. And that goes back to a lot of what Chris was talking about. Well, well, maybe these environmental factors are lining up in a way that we don't understand, but it worked. Lots of fish were born. Great. But do we really want that to be the thing we're betting on happening again when we can look back over the last decade and realize we basically had not recruitment failure, but this, cha- this, this below average recruitment. And so go back to common sense. If not enough fish are born, you can't take as many as you have been taking. And... You know, you take the trophy season, of course, that's that's uh, one that, you know, there's varying opinions on in Maryland, but it's logical that if uh, you're not getting enough fish, uh, not enough fish are being born, you should scale back. And, you know, the trophy season expanded, 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 but as the stock declined, no managers were ever willing to say, all right, we've got to shrink our days. And and not just the trophy season, but the season in general. And and I, I, I personally think a lot of times we have our cake and eat it too and realize, uh-oh, you know, we've gotten too close to the cliff. Um, Once we've given people something, it's very hard to take it away. Sure is. And they're very reluctant to give it up. Yeah. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's not a, um, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't have all the answers for sure. And, and we don't necessarily. Who does? As, as a group. I mean, right? We, we're in this together, whether we're CCA or, or you name it. And, and the charter sector. I mean, yeah. I, I got some good friends in the, that are charter boat captains. And you know, I was just talking to somebody this week. And he's like, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know, but let's do what has the least impact on everyone that makes the most difference. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we got to come something. together on that, you know. <laughs> yep. We know what doing nothing's going to do. Right. So. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and it's also, it's important to note that as you watch the management system unfold, you'll see that, that the technical folks, because they're, they're so good with the numbers and they're really, really smart folks that, that can crunch all this information. But what it is is technical guidance for the managers to make a decision. And it's yeah. it's it seems you can almost watch some of the managers managers sometimes being like, hey, technical folks, tell me what to do, right? Which you can understand that, right? They want to know exactly what to do, but sometimes you just have to use everything around you to figure out what's best. And one of the things that, that just makes me shake my head sometimes is this this concept that um, there's a fifty fifty chance of a of a management action being successful. And that was the case with a twenty five percent reduction in mortality last time, twenty percent, twenty and a half percent in the bay. And, and that's where some of the numbers fly out. You know, you see them on these slides and they say probability of success or to end over fishing. And it's like, really? A coin flip? You know, and, and that's, that's what this latest action is. All the options that they gave, these so are most likely yeah. to have a 50%. Um, or, or these, are, these are likely to have a 50 These have a 50% likelihood of being effective. Right. And it's, oh come on! You know, it's like we know this it's isn't a, a coin flip. It's not a yeah. precise art, yeah. but let's not make it a coin so flip. So even yeah. with all the yeah, all the all the hardship that it's going to give everyone, 
it's still just fifty percent chance. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like those odds at all. Not one bit. And mm-hmm. you know the question is who will be the leaders there that that, that forget who the winner's going to be. It shouldn't be picking winners and losers. The fish need to win. Yeah. Period. Because then we all do. Arise like you said, that's also not, I mean, that's not taking into factor all of these outside influences mm-hmm. between rain and forage. And right. Everything. Yeah. So I, I would put that below 50%. <laughs> Once you start adding those factors mm-hmm. in, then. Yeah, that's right. Right. So much we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. The, so a couple of weeks ago, um, or yeah, maybe it was a week ago, I sent out a newsletter and and included our Kent Narrows Fly and Light Tackle Tournament coming up on June 3rd. I'm sorry, June 1st. 1st yeah. Coming up on June 1st. <laughs> um, and this is the 16th annual. Uh, it's been a great fishing tournament. I remember when it was a catch and keep. You know, we were weighing fish at the dock um, and chose to, to make a change. Um, you know, as technology advanced, we all have a camera in our pocket. We all have an email and now with uh, you know our great folks at iAngler Tournament allow us to do a catch photo and, and release tournament. Um, so I, I can't remember what year CCA made that change, but that's where we are. And given that 48% number flying around and all the dead floating fish and those optics that we all have been living with, which is interesting, Rudy, that you mentioned it happening back in the 90s because you know it's something that's happened here a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not a new phenomenon. Um, but you know, back to the to the tournament. Um, some folks asked, "Hey, how can you be a conservation organization and have a, have a fishing tournament like this?" But well, consider the circumstances under which you're conducting this. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's artificial lures only. I'm assuming. Yes, sir. Okay, yeah. right there, you got a huge reduction in mortality. You're fishing in the mid bay, where the salinity generally is higher, and you're also fishing in June when the water temperatures and air temperatures aren't significantly different. I cannot think of a much better scenario. Right, right. And, you know, fishing yeah, tournaments yeah. can be, uh, they can be complicated. You know, money's on the line. There's a lot of uh, passion, a lot of folks that want to win. And, you know, there's always that person that might cheat or something like that. And, and But, you know, they're also a celebration of our sport. You know, we have great local mm-hmm. tackle shops, Island Tackle Outfitters. You know, Dave has, has stepped up as a title sponsor this year. Mm-hmm. And we have a long history of great mm-hmm. folks from this community supporting that event. And I'll tell you, um, you know, I run into folk members all the time that keep asking, you know, oh, when's the tournament? What's going on? What can I do to help? Because they have fun. And, you know, CCA has a policy across the country that we do not have cash prizes in our tournaments. And, and I, I don't know the exact uh, reason behind it, um, the specific details of it. But, you know, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of nice. You know, you can win some tackle. You can win some stuff some sponsors provide, uh, a gift certificate. And it gets it back to the fun of fishing. It brings it's us fun, all together. Exactly right. You know, I worked for a number of years as a waymaster for a different tournament. I won't mention in the spring, and it was a cash tournament. And there were a couple of instances where there was some significant cheating and fault. Was disco- this is what we discovered? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into the details, obviously, but it tended to bring out some of the worst in people. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, it's funny. Even with some of our little, uh, you know, angle coolers, coastal sunglasses, you know, some of our great sponsors we have. You know, our judges at, at, at the Kent Narrows tournament take it very seriously. And our, you know, iAngler tournament has some different things built into it that can allow us to understand what folks are doing to be manipulative. And, you know, if you read our rules, the judges are, are the final say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I won't go into any more detail than that, but we're going to catch you. Um, and, and you know, so the, 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 the minority of folks that might 
skirt the rules and, and cheat. I think, yeah. um, you know, I think overall we, we have some great folks out there that participate in that tournament. And my favorite's the youth. Yeah, you know? exactly. I've got a short story I can share. You might want to delete this later. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good story. It was the third day of this particular tournament, and it was a really windy Sunday. And this family came in early on their own private boat. And this, they had three categories for men, for women, and for children 12 and under. And this little girl, obviously 12 and under, came in carrying her 17-pound striper, which won her second prize in her age category. Long, beautiful blonde hair. And I never knew anybody could be alive and be that color. She was so sick, but she was so determined to catch this fish. Did she have fisteria? <laughs> As she was cranking her fish in, she got her long blonde hair caught in the fishing reel. Oh, no. And she oh, made no. her daddy cut her hair off. They showed it and was still in the reel. She was not going to lose that fish. I love that story. Oh, poor thing. That's great. You know, we have... Uh, she didn't feel sorry for herself. She won a couple she hundred won. bucks. I love it. I love it. Yeah, our, uh, in, the, in the Kenton Arrows tournament, the, um, the, the youth division, you know, everybody that participates in the tournament has to be a member, an active member of CCA, which is a $35 a year fee. Um, our youth membership is $10 a year, and so there's no further fee for youth. And so, you know, it's my hope that we continue to see more youth involvement. It's 10 bucks, you know, for the kid to get out there and have some fun. We, we get some great kid trophies um, for our members. It's $55 if, if you're an existing member. Um, if not, $80, and you get a membership with that. So you actually get a discount on the annual membership to CCA. And, you know, we have it down at the Jetty Dock Bar, a great buffet, great sponsors, Sweetwater Beer. You know, it's going to be a beautiful day. Folks are going to get out there. Yeah, yeah. Rudy helped out with the judging last year, and so that's June first. Um, you can check that out at ccamd.org. Um, and you know, Island Tackle Outfitters. What is it? The fifth year. Fifth year. Fifth year. End, end of May will be year number five. I'm yeah. lucky compared to you. <laughs> <laughs> so they they've got their their uh, the captains meeting is going to be at Island Tackle Outfitters uh, on on May thirtieth, which is the Thursday before the tournament. So that's when folks will come out. Um, get some giveaways from some of our sponsors. We're still planning all the details of the party, but we're going to celebrate. Some Island fun stuff going on. Yeah, good stuff at the shop. Um, and again, folks that, that aren't familiar with the format, this is a catch photo release tournament. I think Rudy spoke to the specifics and some of the science behind why catch photo release fishing is, is a sustainable way to do it. It's conservation-minded. You know, conservation's all about making sure we don't take too much and we don't have too much of an impact today, so we have plenty for the future. And... Um, you know, so there's some science behind it. And, you know, if and when we decide that we need to step back and do it differently, you know what, we're going to we're gonna make those changes. Um, um, but for now, you know, we're going to give folks some, some uh, best practices in handling fish, you know, that, that they will be releasing live um, to make sure that those fish survive and, and um, continue to work through the, the management process um, at ASMFC and here in Maryland to provide our members a voice uh, to speak on behalf of the resource and, and our, our sport that we love so much, and that's such an important economic driver in, in this region here in Kent Island, but also throughout the coast. Um, the striped bass story is a is an important one. It's a long-standing one, and you know this is hopefully something we'll look back on in a decade and say, you know what, we learned our lessons the first time we had to shut down these fisheries. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get it right this time, and um, you know everybody, I, I can't. I can't say it enough. It's extremely important for folks to to focus on opportunities to weigh in. There's no doubt that that folks or groups like CCA are, are important 
um, in providing that voice, but your personal voice, your personal perspective to our managers, to the folks that manage our fishery, um, to even the politicians that are involved in some ways, um, it's important. You know, we need to share our stories and, and explain, understand that we're all in it together, but we've all got a really unique and important reason why these fisheries are so important to us. So, you know, I, I always recommend to people to, you're never too old to, to learn something from each other, you know, from, from all this important science um, and all these important experiences that we have. And so, you know, I think that's a lot about what tonight's conversation is all about. So I don't know if folks have any, you guys have any closing thoughts here as we wrap up this first What's on the Line podcast. Well, a good example of how science can benefit recreational fisheries is the Susquehanna Flats fishery. It was banned for a number of years because of preconceived ideas of how important the flats were to spawning, and they are a spawning area, but not a, a significant one. But we did studies that showed for a limited time we could have a catch and release fishery that did not cause harm to the fish or the fishery as long as it was limited and people obeyed certain rules like artificial lures or circle hooks. And there we had a significant economic impact to the upper bay and to a lot of other anglers who enjoyed that without impacting the striped bass population. There you go. We put some science behind it and used the proper gear. And and I think you mentioned earlier uh, that that fishery actually shuts down at a certain water temperature mm-hmm. or a certain calendar date. Yeah. A certain calendar date when the average temperature has been above a certain point. Yep. Yeah. And so that's how you can find that perfect medium between access to the resource and, and not providing too much of a an impact on those fish. So. No, you know, I think that another good part, at least getting some of the stuff out here and doing stuff like this, is uh, people educating themselves. They can go in and they can do some research. And, I mean, I, I've learned a tremendous amount just about the water, you know, a lot of the research um that's been done of just stuff that you don't think about but um you know the, the more we can take a proactive stance instead of waiting for you know someone else to be reactive um why not take that step now personally and you know mm-hmm. put it on our own backs you know whether you're whatever part of the puzzle you're in um you know the, the more we can do personally the better off we're going to be in the end that we know what the the end option is if we keep doing what we're doing mm-hmm. and i don't think anybody wants to be there um, so why not kind of be the wave that, that makes some change? Absolutely. And following up on that, no matter if you're a commercial fisherman, a waterman, as we call them here in Maryland, a charter captain, uh, a light tackle guide, or a recreational angler, it's a shared resource. We all have the same, we all own the fish, technically. And not only us, also, you know, the general public. It's a shared research resource that belongs to everyone. And so we need to manage it that way. Not just for any particular sector, but for everyone. Uh, and, you know, the only thing we can do is what applies to us personally. Our, uh, what, what I do on the water makes a difference. And so if everybody thinks that way, then, you know, that think we all ultimately make a difference i can't think of a better closing point (laughs) that's what it's all about it's it's about passing on something better than the way you found it and always always learning and learning from each other 
Just when we thought the conversation was over, it started again. And so here was some more conversation about hook and release studies and some of the work Rudy's done. I hope you enjoy. One thing you want to stress. <laughs> One of the things I would like to stress from all the work we did with hickory shad, American shad, white perch, yellow perch, flounder, the different studies with striped bass, is that under most circumstances, catch and release fishing is a non-consumptive practice. Mm-hmm. As long as we recognize there are certain times and circumstances where mortality can accelerate. And if we're aware of that and take that into account, it can remain non-consumptive. Absolutely. And that, you know, that 48% number, that chart, if that was the largemouth bass fishery you know, that we have in this country today, it would be almost all total removals, which is death of largemouth bass. From catch and release. Catch and release mortality because right. nobody kills them anymore. No, and, and right. that was yeah. that was this another thing that hit me at ASMFC the other day. I'm sitting there listening to this conversation about this sector, that sector, this group, that group. And I'm going, wait, here I am, and like many anglers, a I go fishing, and there's no guarantee what I catch is going to be of legal size, and I'm going to be able to put in the cooler. B, if I choose to let them go, am I now listening to the managers talk about penalizing me for making that personal choice? Right, and that personal choice may have had nothing to do with what I care about the fish. Heck, I didn't want to make my cooler messy. Maybe I forgot ice. Maybe I didn't want to clean them when I got home. You know, and are are our managers missing the point as an excuse to not do what's right, not just kill yeah, less course. fish? Yeah, or, or to to pacify certain special interest groups. But I mean, isn't that what you want? Isn't what you want as many people as possible using the resource? Turn the fish loose so it's a renewable resource. You get more and more people coming in because there's more fish available there, more people going to the tackle shops, more people out there fishing, buying fishing license. That's the battle won. That's it. That's <laughs> look, it. At, look at both of our shad species. Total required catch and release fishing. The studies have shown mortality is almost non-existent. Yep. And still, how many people you see below Cotto Wingo Dam participating in that on Deer Creek, catching and releasing hickory shad? A lot. Yeah. And I'm sure that brings a lot of economic benefit to the area. The, the Potomac at Fletcher is the perfect example. Yep. You, know, you could go there. You go there tomorrow. I guarantee you there's going to be at least 30 guys out there. They're renting boats. They're buying shad darts. They're buying gear at the store. They're buying lunch. You know, and, and they're, they're catching fish and they're enjoying the fishery. Well, it's such an important piece that most people won't know about because we don't see it as consumers that buy at a retail level are the excise taxes that exist on every single <laughs> fishing point. and hunting item. <laughs> you bet. Dave knows a little about that. Uh, you know, what is it, 10%? Yeah. I was 11, talking 10, to... Yeah. 11, uh, 11, yeah. And I know there's a couple different programs depending on what part of the sporting world you're talking about. And, and we don't think twice about it. No. It's there. No, it's there. It's built in. And, you know, it was forward thinking. And let's hope that the money's always coming back into a place that's benefiting the resource and all of us. And I was actually talking to a guy who manufactures tackle. And I was saying, that, you know, what point do you pay it? And he's like, well, I can't remember exactly how he explained it, but if, you know, depending on what you do, like let's say you buy a, a jig head from a, a factory somewhere and you're just getting a blank lead jig head. Well, if you paint it and put a skirt on it, not only did the, the transaction when you purchased it raw or blank have an excise tax on it, if you improve it or modify it, it does it again. If you improve it and modify it again, it does it again. Which can be a burden in some ways, but you think of the multiplier factor of all that economically to, or not economically, but but in the conservation side of things. 
where you know you, you, you see these grant programs and, and all this money that's spent on habitat and clean water and all those kinds of things, a lot of that funding from the federal government is coming from these programs. And again, we never think twice about it. Because guess what? We care about it so much. Who cares? Yeah, it's right. a priceless experience to go mm-hmm. out fishing. And one of the cool things that, for me at least, doing some of these catch-only studies was, like in, in the shad in particular, we would go, went to, out to uh, Deer Creek, set up these tanks, went to Conalwinga Dam, set up these tanks, and just approached fishermen and said, this is what we're doing. They were so happy to participate. They, yeah, they were yeah. really enthused and involved, and they actually bought into the study. Yeah. With the circle hook studies, we had a lot. We'd go out with six anglers on a charter boat. Generally, I had two people from DNR. I was the mate. We'd have two people from MSSA or CCA or other groups out there every single day. And I gave presentations to almost every single CCA and MSSA club in the state. And when I got to each one of these clubs, there was almost always someone there who had participated. I was there. I helped. They really bought into it. It was great. Man, I was very hear that positive today, experience. Rudy, and sometimes when I'm going around and doing my talks and mm-hmm. stuff, people tell me, I talk about your studies, and, and people will tell me, oh, I, I helped. I was involved in that. Yep, they and really bought really into it. really proud yep. of doing that. Mm-hmm. They were. Man, I don't blame them. They're great studies. That reminds me of our, our, our tagging work, mm-hmm. our, our partnership that we have with the American Littoral Society, and... You know, folks going out there tagging fish, and you know, I'm, a, I'm a waterfowler too. So I, you know, you talk about bands. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a every waterfowler wants to, to get a band and learn where it came from. Yeah, and that's the the cool thing about about uh, the fish tagging program mm-hmm. that we have, and you know that information actually goes right to the ASMFC is in the uh, actually mentioned on certain pages in the stock assessment, and that's filling in the blanks. And, you know, striped bass is the most data-rich fishery yeah. in the country. And if we can't get it right with all that information, it's not, well, I, I would say it's not the data that's failing us or the lack thereof. It's the lack of the ability to make the tough decisions at that's the right, right time. You know, do we have to always race towards the cliff? No, we don't. So. Well, I remember the same thing about deer hunting some years ago. We were getting so liberal in our seasons when the population stabilized or perhaps declined for some reason, are people going to be resentful for having their seasons cut or the bag limit cut? You, know, you, give, pe- you give people things, and then when circumstances dictate a reduction, they're not happy. Yeah. And I understand that. Yeah. Well, I always wonder, is it just that vocal minority of folks that you hear from and really kind of keep things set in their ways mm-hmm. and... Oh, I don't know. Well, there's that's certain what, fishing message boards that are like that. Oh, oh that's yeah. what I hate about social media is that you've got the bullies. You know, you've got the people who are the most vocal mm-hmm. who drive opinion, at least what is the perceived opinion on the board. Yep. And then you develop factions and people who like, oh, I don't agree with that. But they're not willing to go out and actually say what their opinion is. And so it, it just, you know. I, I lurk and read, but I have never and never will post. Yeah, I'm that way about some stuff too. I know you left t- the other board some time yeah. ago. I'm not going to mention. I used it. to be on. Yeah, I used to be on tidal fish yeah. a lot, and actually, I met most of the people that I fish with today. I met them through tidal fish. It was great for a while there, and then it just you know the bullies took over. Just the I can't imagine who, anything you say or do would be subject for bullying. 
<laughs> oh man. <laughs> okay. I guess I missed the something. Stories that, I is can a, tell you. that is a whole podcast within itself. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. That will be a pay per view one. Right. Or a right. <laughs> oh man. No, it's crazy. I used to spend so much time on forums, um, Tidalfish and some others, and made some great friends with a lot of them. And learned a lot of what I know about fishing or made the connections to be invited on a trip. And but yeah, the too. debate sometimes if debate is healthy, it's the arguing. It's harangue. <laughs> yeah. And it's just oh man. Which is what we've just gotten to in general. I mean across the board and everything now is it just always debate. There's no sitting back and rationally looking at no. both sides and right. you know, trying to understand what someone else's point of view is. It's Mm-hmm. Nope, this is right, you're wrong. Well, I've learned if, if you have a fishing license, you have the same credibility of a person with a master's degree and 30 years' experience. That's exactly right. And yep. if you have a Facebook membership, you have the same credibility as a, a guy with a PhD. And you, I mean, as far as it depends on how many followers you have, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep. And, and the people who really know what's going on aren't the ones that have the most followers. Mm-hmm. This has been a very great evening. Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. <laughs> I've really I've learned a lot and just enjoyed the company. I think you've, you've taught a lot. I talk too much? No, you've taught. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, the thing about the J-hooks causing more damage than circle hooks, I mean, I, you know, we've been working together for a while. Mm-hmm. I, didn't re- I didn't know that until tonight. That's, that's good stuff, yep. man. Because the criticism of circle hook is, oh, I still got hook fish with circle hooks. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah, you're going to do it. I think a lot of it, too, is a lot of people come in and they're like, ah, give me, I'll use these fives. And, you know, they're these tiny circle yeah, hooks. Yeah, that, exactly you know. right. The size size matters. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, I, question two, I guess, would be how you tie. I mean, I know traditionally snelling them. I don't know if that makes a difference or if there's been any look into that the way I, they didn't look at them. I have no yeah. idea. But so I know it's preferably offshore. A lot of guys snell them and it's supposed to help that hook point stay out and again i, I, I don't know not, yeah what, what surprised me was when we did we did two years worth of study the the second year we did because the first year we had planned to look at two different salinity regimes we had a drought we didn't have that at our preconceived slights, sites so the second year we did it we did it at pools island and love point and we had significant salinity differences that year and it became kind of obvious after two years of doing this that it didn't seem like circle hooks caught as well or as often as j hooks but when you're fishing one style of hook one day, one style of hook with different anglers, you really can't make that. So we did a study the third year looking at circle hooks side by side with J hooks in terms of hooking efficiency. And it turned out that J hooks are definitely more effective at catching fish. You'll probably catch, what we did, we had six anglers, three guys fished with J hooks, three guys fished with circle hooks, and they recorded with tick marks how many hits they got, how many fish they hooked. How many fish they landed every 30 minutes? They switch rods with different hook style and record the same data. And over the course of an entire season, yeah, we'll probably catch three fish on a J for every two on a circle. But in the process of doing so, you're going to kill 15 times more fish. I gave this presentation to I think we have told you this already to the the uh, Charter Boat Association. And Eddie O'Brien asked, "Would you consider looking at different kinds of circle hooks?" And coincidentally, we had thought about that. So next year we compared the wide gap Callies or Kales offsets and non-offsets and killers were not much better than j-hooks in terms of deep hooking what surprised me because i didn't expect to see there was no difference in deep hooking between offset and non-offset and non-offset cut better 
So the regulation to require them is actually a benefit. Hmm. Although we didn't know it at the time. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> well, and the, the uh, you know, as the DNR and the state decided to put forth that regulation last year, you know, a lot of tackle shops, I had a tackle shop owner call me, and of course the rumor mills say, oh, that was CCA's idea. And oh, to, to cut out trophy season. Well, well and, and to have the circle oaks go into place. And, you know, you have a tackle shop that they've stocked their shelves. They're Already. ready. You they know. did it late. They really did it late. Yeah. Uh, and that might have been a valid, you know, a valid art. Well, I mean, yeah. Valid complaint. And, and, and these guys are saying, and the, and the original intention that ASMFC expected out of Maryland was that all bait fishing was circle hooks. So anything, and I think what they were going to do was mirror the, the reg that was a half-inch gap, mm-hmm. like they have on the in the early season in the flats. Um, so if it's a half-inch or less gap, then you don't have to have a circle hook. And, uh, and that's when I talked to this one tackle shop owner that said, oh, CCA's doing this. And I said, no, 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 it's not what we're, you know, we're not doing it. The state's doing it. We're not opposed to it, but, you know, there's no perfect solution to all these things. Oh, no. You know, and it's... No. Fish are going to die. It's, it's a yeah. law. Yeah. You know? Fishing kills fish, and that's okay. It just The cat that I worked for, and again, I have tremendous respect for the man, when it was an 18-inch size limit and we were using trebles, we were not throwing back many fish. Mm-hmm. But when the size limit went to 20 inches... I was appalled by how many fish I had to throw back. Right. Deeply hooked with, and even just deeply hooked in the mouth. You couldn't get it out sometimes. That fish is going to die. He can't eat. And, yeah. and nobody knows that fish is going to die better than you do. Yeah. 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 And you know they're going to die. If he's got a trouble hook in his throat, and even though it might not kill him outright, how can he swallow? Right. That hook's out there impaling no, anything he may swallow. Of course. Right. Right. What a horrible way to die. Yeah. <laughs> that too. It's like having a pizza in my mouth I can't swallow. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that's a wrap for part two of episode one of the What's on the Line podcast with CCA Maryland. Thank you for joining along. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and welcome you to come back for future episodes. If you have any feedback or ideas, please shoot us an email at information at ccamd.org. Episode two is coming soon on Snakeheads. For follow-up on any information we talked about on part one or part two, um, a lot of that you can find at the asmfc.org website. Of course, that's the coastwide management body that manages striped bass and numerous other species. Um, There's some great links on there about fisheries management 101, so you can better understand some of the concepts we had talked about, um, as well as understand the schedule that's coming up. And so we'll, we'll keep you up to speed. Uh, follow us on our Facebook page, our Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter by going to our website, ccamd.org, but also listen in on this podcast. And, and of course, we'd love for you to join CCA today. You can do so by going to joincca.org or ccamd.org slash join. 